I got cut four times my last year in the NFL by Bill Belichick the last time eating grapes in the team dining hall. Happy holidays. <laughs>
I would ski and go to that other shop in Boulder and I would flunk out in about a month. So I always have <laughs> like some sort of real appreciation for anybody that actually made it through the entire educational system at the University of Colorado Boulder. Well, I met my wife there. She made it through. Both my kids made it through Boulder. I managed to make it through as well. And, uh, you know, hey, if you're going to be in Boulder, I think you have a responsibility to visit those other shops at least a couple of times. <laughs> you don't want to get yourself thrown too far off course, but you have to yeah. experience Boulder for what Boulder really is. Yeah, and at Folsom Field is just still beautiful. It's one of the greatest places. And, it's you know, it's, there's, a, there's a history that we'll get into with you in a minute about what Colorado football was uh, when you were back there back in the late 80s and the early 90s. But before we get into all of that, let's start uh, growing up in California. Was football the thing that you loved, or was it something that you used to get somewhere? I grew up in a neighborhood with lots of kids. And so yeah. if you wanted to play with the kids, they were playing football. And, you know, we played football in the street. And this was back when everybody's grass went right up to the, the curb right up there. Right. So uh, you were allowed to tackle along the sidelines as long as someone had grass. Um, and so I was one of the younger kids. And in order to play, I had to be tough enough to play. I couldn't cry. I couldn't whine about it. So if I wanted to play with these older guys. So in some way, my whole life experience prepared me to endure the pain of being a football player. Because when <laughs> I was six and I wanted to play with nine-year-olds, I had to be tough yeah. enough to play with them. Uh, so most yeah. of my friends were, were just a couple of years older. So even when I got to high school, they were on varsity and I was on, on freshman. And so when I wanted to work out with those guys, I had to be able to hang with those guys. Um, and they were really the, 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 the guides along my football journey as a youth. Uh, I didn't just grow up deciding I want to be a football player. I wanted to play and hang with my friends. They played football. Therefore, I played football. All right. So when in California in high school or maybe before, did you think, hey, I, I might be OK at this? Uh, my coach uh, in high school, Jim Brownfield, um, He's in the Southern California, I think actually, no, the state of California High School Coaches Hall of Fame. Uh, right. He took my parents to dinner after my sophomore year. Uh, took them to Bob's Big Boy on his coach's salary and yeah. uh, explained to them, you know, Chad has a future in this. If you get him to take care of his grades, I'll take care of the football part. And, uh, you know, we, I'm pretty sure we can get him a scholarship. And my foot, my high school, John Muir High School, was definitely a strong athletic tradition there. So guys were always going off and getting scholarships. So once that conversation happened, and my parents told me about that conversation, then a, you know a fire was lit underneath me. Not only was I yeah. looking up to those guys, I actually had a chance to be one of those guys, one of those guys whose name was painted on the weight room wall. Well, that could be me right. one day. So you know, the, sometimes in life you just need someone to show you what is possible for you to expand your dreams a little bit bigger. And along the way, I had enough of those people in front of me to kind of show me, hey, this could be possible for you, for me to go, you know what? Yeah, I think it is. And I'm going to put it in the work to make that happen. You know, that's so important because I, I hate it when somebody says, oh, he's a self-made man or, you know, I picked up by your bootstraps. To me, that's all bullshit. Like you, you can work right. hard and I get that, but like everybody has somebody that points things out for them and tells them this is something that you can achieve. And it sounds like your high school coach was the guy that really opened your entire world vision. For somebody to see something in you that you don't see in yourself and then for them to literally yeah. open your eyes to what is possible for you, 
oh, those moments are, are huge. As a 15-year-old skinny sophomore, for someone to tell me I could go, because we had, you know, Richard Bell leave Colorado, leave University of, I'm sorry, not University, leave John Muir High School and go to Nebraska. Yeah. You mean I could be yeah. like Richard Bell and play at a major college program? I could be like Ricky Irvins and play at USC? Oh, well, wow, my whole world is opened up and expanded. And now there's a belief and confidence in myself that is based on what someone else saw in me. And now I'm trying to bring out of myself. So how did you decide on Colorado? Because like you said, California, so many great schools, so many people trying to like, you know, every year you, you name the, the top five states for football and it's Pennsylvania, it's Texas, it's Florida, and it's California. They're always there. They're always right there. So what made Colorado the choice for you? Colorado has started to make some inroads into Southern California recruiting uh, when I was in high school. J.J. Flanagan uh, was the California State Player of the Year from Pomona High School. He went to Colorado. Uh, Eric Bienemy, uh, my my junior year, his senior year, he went to Colorado. George Hemingway was another All-State performer in California. He went to Colorado. So Colorado was plucking the best running backs out of California. And then my senior year, Darian Hagan, who was the preseason sure. state player of the year, the best athlete in the state of California, which is always saying something when you're the best in California yeah. as far as high school athletics, he's looking at Colorado and considering Colorado. So when they showed up at my doorstep and at my high school, uh, I was all ears. I was listening and I was excited about what Colorado was building. I, like I said, I had some high school teammates who had gone to USC. But do I want to go to USC and be – one of the many greats, or do I want to go yeah. to Colorado and be one of the greatest ever? Do I want to call, go to yeah. Colorado and, and bring a national championship to, to, to them that had never existed before? So it became down to, do I want to be a pioneer, or do I want to join in someplace already great? And I chose to go and be a pioneer. Well, and, and your time at Colorado is going to go down as the golden era uh, of Colorado football until things change, uh, uh, because uh, there's a... There was a lot of stuff that went on uh, when you were at the University of Colorado, some tremendous and some heartbreaking. And for those that don't know, uh, the legacy of Sal Inese is one of the things that took place at Colorado. And Sal was a quarterback at the university. Was he your year or a year ahead of you? Or You guys were very close in age, right? He was two years ahead of me. He was actually one of my hosts okay. on my recruiting trip. Yeah. So Sal was a, for those that don't know, Sal was the starting quarterback for the University of Colorado when Bill McCartney got there and really turned the program around. And then he was diagnosed with cancer. It was stomach cancer, if I'm not mistaken, right? You are correct. Yes, correct. Yeah. And, and he did not survive long at all, passed away very quickly uh, after that diagnosis. And that sort of became sort of a rallying cry for the team when you were there. Uh, take me through that whole experience because you're, a, like you said, you're a kid, you're going there, you're, you're just seeing your world open up and all the possibilities. And then you realize how quickly it can all be gone. To your point, you were, you know, 17 and 18, 19 year old, you know, college students. And you know, of course, you know, grandparents pass away, older people pass away, but most of us by that point in life had never been touched by that and particularly not from one of our peers so when sal was right. diagnosed i actually got the call during uh spring break i was at home in california uh the coaching staff after sal's diagnosis contacted every player and it, it's it rocks your world how could this happen to somebody so young so healthy 
you know, Salha just led us through the season before. Uh, he was a starting quarterback. Seems such promising future. Well, let's couple that also with Sal uh, and Coach McCartney's daughter uh, were expecting a child. So there was an right. additional drama of that unfolding as well. So it was a lot for a college town, a college football program to, to deal with. Um, Sal's, you know, showing up at games, he's losing weight. He's looking sicker and sicker. You know, the chemo is ravishing his body. Um, you know, Sal's moved into hospice and, you know, we have dedicated this, this season to our, you know, our teammate, our, our, who's, who's seemingly on his way out there. Uh, it was a, you know, very emotional, difficult moments for all of us to navigate. But at the same time, as those moments can do, particularly when you're young, they can be such galvanizing moments for our football team. We truly rallied yeah. around that, and we played that entire season for Sal. And it sounds so funny, I think, you know, as a 52-year-old man, that you play this entire season for one of your teammates. But literally, that is what we did. That was the mindset that we had. Yeah, I, mean, I remember you guys encased his locker in glass. And so, you know, they would always be Sal's locker. That never changed. Um, and it was the inspiration for the team that led Colorado to that national that a share of that national championship in 1990. Yeah, I, you know, if if folks want to know more, I definitely recommend checking out the the 30 for 30 episode. Uh, yeah. The the what is it, the, the the case for Mac? I, I can't remember the exact title yeah. of it. Uh, but the, but at any rate, I recommend checking that out. Um, yeah, Sal's locker was encased in glass. Guys would you know before heading out to the field on a game would stop by Sal's locker. And it's, it's interesting because I did said I'm 52 years old, but just talking about those times again, I can feel the emotion coming back at me. And I can remember those thoughts and, you know, us playing for Sal and guys after scoring touchdowns or making a big play, you know, literally pointing to the heavens, not to God, but to pointing to our teammate. You know, I made this play for you, Sal. Um, yeah. Those are really Oof. emotional times and, and brings it all back to me right now. Yeah, uh, I, I just got a little bit of chills listening to you talk like that. Um, and, and then if that wasn't enough to have in your college experience, then came one of the most infamous games that season in the history of college football, forever known as the fifth down game. And for those that don't know, it was in the old Big Eight. Uh, it was Colorado at Mizzou, at Missouri. Uh, Eric Bieniemy uh, was the running back in that game, and uh, who was your quarterback? I can't remember the the, the, the quarterback that, that played. Well, it was Darian Hagen earlier, but Charles Darian Johnson Hagen, had yes. to come in and Charles. replace him. Yes, right, right, right. So anyway, you guys are down late in that game, and you get inside the five yard line of the University of Missouri, and somehow, some way, which by the way could never happen now with all the technology and the social media and the cameras everywhere that we have on almost every college football game that that is played, the officiating crew loses track of the downs. And you guys need a touchdown to win the game and keep your dreams of a, of a national championship alive. Because if you lose to Mizzou, it is over. Mizzou was not good, was not a good football program at that time. So they lose track of the downs, and what on what should have been fourth down and a turnover on downs, pretty much ending the game inside the one-yard line for Missouri, you guys get a fifth down. And on the fifth down, uh, I think Biennemi scored, right? Didn't Biennemi score the game-winning touchdown? It was a, uh option run. Charles Johnson, the quarterback, kept it. Okay. End up scoring. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, so you're on defense, right? You're on defense. You're watching this unfold. Tell me what was going through your mind because 
were you doing, wait a minute, that's one too many. Some guys on the sideline had no idea. Some guys were completely dialed in. I was one of those guys asking questions because I, I assumed I missed something along the way because fifth downs, I mean, what does that happen in football? What, what is the, the, the officiating crew has a little rubber band on their fingers and they move back in the old school from down to down yeah. to make sure they were on the correct down. They could line it up with the, uh, the, the sticks on the sideline. So there's so many checks and balances. How could this possibly be? Uh, but there was a timeout. There was a, a spiked ball to stop the clock in the series. So somewhere along the way, the officiating crew, our coaches on the sideline, lost track of the down. Apparently the only person in the offensive huddle was our center, Jay Lewenberg, who was the only guy who oh, recognized that it was shut down. He, rec- yeah. he says it to Coach McCartney on the sideline, and apparently they tell him to shut up because they point to the sticks on the sideline and say, no, look, it's only third down. So, yeah. you know, lucky for us, obviously. But in yeah. the end, um, I call it karma. And let me tell you why. All right. Missouri had a very, very ver- urgent version of field turf. Yeah. Um, and this turf was longer than that old school carpet style turf. And it had sand put into it. But to prevent that sand from being kicked up, like we see that black reground tire be kicked right. up in today's game, they, yeah. they were instructed to hose the field down. For that field to be playable, by the manufacturer's instructions, it had to be completely hosed down. They purposely did not hose that field down because we were an option-based team and we used the sideline and we needed that foot that footing to be able to cut. So right. they tried to get one over on us um, and the football gods came and bit them back and gave us a fifth <laughs> down. Our coaches, after watching the film back, recorded 70 unforced slips offensively just on the offensive side of the ball on that drive where we end up getting the fifth down we threw a ball to our tight end on right on the sideline and out route he catches the ball goes to turn up field slips and falls not a missouri defender around him he would have scored earlier on that drive inside the 10 yard line we run the option play eric Bieniemy catches the ball goes to cut inside a, a missouri defender slips and falls untouched he also would have scored on that play so uh people can kind of put a little try to put a tarnish on our national championship by talking about the fifth down. And I always answer the same way. Karma is a bitch. It will come back to get you. You try to put wrong out there in the world. Life will right itself. We get the national championship. We get the win because we got the fifth down. So I guess without your response, when people say, Oh, it's tainted, you basically tell them to shove it, right? Pretty much. Yes. We played the nation's, <laughs> we played the nation's toughest schedule that year. To yeah. win the national championship with the nation's toughest schedule after starting the season 1-1-1 one, one, and, one, and having to endure a fifth down and the year before our quarterback uh, dies of cancer, yeah, we deserve that national championship and we earned it on the field. You know, I, I'm curious. I, I wonder what's a more famous play in Colorado history. Is it the fifth down play or is it the Cordell Stewart to Michael Westbrook touchdown pass Hail Mary against Michigan a few years later? Well, those are two awesome plays, but let's not forget in the Orange Bowl, in the national championship game, Rocket Ismail's potential punt return for a touchdown gets called back due to a clip. So in some ways, some of the the three of the most famous plays in Colorado football history are kind of infamous plays. Only one's actual positive play for Colorado. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, like I said, there was a lot that went into your collegiate experience, but obviously we want to talk about your NFL career as well. So why don't we take our first break here with Chad Brown on Half Forgotten History. When we come back, we'll talk about what it means for a linebacker to be drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Stay with us. We're coming right back. All right, welcome into the Mercedes-Benz Trivia Challenge. Uh, we'll get you the answers to these trivia questions after the break, but since we're dealing with Chad Brown, just so you know, Chad Brown finished his NFL career with 1,091 career tackles. Where would that rank currently among active NFL players? We'll give you the answer right after the break. You know, you open up a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter and you're opening more than doors. You're unlocking potential to do your own thing, be your own boss, and live out your own dreams. With 16 body types, your choice of a gas or diesel engine, and thousands of ways to customize, a Sprinter van is capable and versatile enough to help you drive your ambitions as far as you want to take them. So go ahead, unlock your potential inside a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. All right, everybody, I want to tell you about an app I use quite frequently, and it's Zelle. Look, whenever you're out on the golf course, you're playing with your buddies, the round is over, you've either won or you've lost, and it's time to either collect your rewards or give away your punishment. Using the Zelle app is so simple and easy. You don't have to reach into your wallet, look for a 20 or a five and make sure you had the right bills. You open up the Zelle app and you either tell people, I kicked your butt today, give me my rewards for kicking your butt, or you can quickly and less humiliatingly just send them the money and you don't have to dwell on it. Either way, whether you win that round of golf or you lose, Zelle makes the transition of the funds so much easier and simpler, and everybody is a little happier. All right, back with Chad Brown here on this episode of Half Forgotten History. Again, we just went through all the incredible things that happened during his playing days at Colorado. So you're now you're getting ready for the draft in 1993, and you played very well. You had a very successful career at Colorado. What were your expectations going into uh, my agent was talking uh, possible late first round, uh, but definitely gone before the, the second round, depending on, you know, whether you're looking at Mel Kuyper's book or someone else's book. I was yeah. expected to be probably the second or third outside linebacker taken. And how much contact had you guys had with the Steelers? Because I always find this interesting. Edger and James told me this great story that the Eagles said they were going to fly him up to interview him for the for the before he was drafted. And they literally put him on a plane and no one ever greeted him. It was a total like espionage, subterfuge, you know, counter. So people would think that's where they were going. He, he said he got to Philadelphia and no one was there. He's like, all right, get on the plane and went back home. So how much contact did you actually have with the Steelers before the draft? Uh, the only subterfuge of that whole experience was my, my agent. Uh, there was a linebacker taken the year before me who was considered to be the smartest linebacker in the draft. And apparently every time he got off the plane in the draft process, he had two books in his hand. So I was instructed whenever I got off the plane or met with any NFL person was to have a couple of books in my hand to try to make myself appear smarter than I actually was. So that was the only snow job involved. The Steelers actually yeah. flew me out before the draft. Uh, I sat down with Marvin Lewis, who was the linebacker coach in Pittsburgh at the time. Uh, nice. had a great conversation, went to dinner, all that stuff. So there was no attempted shenanigans happening there. Met with Bill Cower and all of that. I also flew out to Dallas uh, and met with the Cowboys. Um, my, my, my roommate was Wayne That's Simmons. interesting and on a lot of levels, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, so my roommate was Wayne Simmons. And uh, 9 o'clock is when the buses were going to pick us up from the hotel and take us to the Cowboys facility. A blonde in a convertible Corvette dropped Wayne off at 8.50 in the morning in front of the hotel. <laughs> 
he comes running up to the room to change clothes to run back down to make the nine o'clock bus. And I thought, I don't think you're taking this process nearly as seriously as, as I am. I'm walking around yeah. with these books in my hand and you're getting dropped off by a blonde in a convertible Corvette. At any rate, both those teams were very I bet he had a better night, though. I bet he had a better I'm night. Sure he, did, he did have a better night than me. I heard the story later <laughs> on the bus. Um, <laughs> both those teams were completely clear in their desire yeah. to draft me. Um, the morning of the draft, um, my mother calls me. Her best friend lives in San Francisco. Uh, apparently, I'm on the front page of the paper, the sports section out in San Francisco. They're going to take me in the first round of the draft. Uh, I'm all excited because, you know, yes, I'll get to go in the first round. Um, after my hang up with my mom, I look at the phone. It's Bill Cower on the phone. He calls me and says, hey, we just picked up Kevin Green in free agency. Can you play inside linebacker? And I said, hell, hell coach, I can punt if you want me to. I don't care what you ask me to do. So long story short, I get taken by the Pittsburgh Steelers with the 44th pick in the draft, which was my high school number. So a very special number in my mind. And I end up playing outside linebacker, inside linebacker because Kevin Green is man in the outside linebacker spot. So I have a, a sort of a theory, okay? Like there are certain positions on certain teams that just matter more. Center fielder for the Yankees, center for the Lakers. And people are going to hate me, but I don't care. Quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. You look at the lineage, okay? It's a big effing deal. What did it mean to play linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers who probably treat that position better than, or they hold it more sacred than almost any other team. All right, so there's levels to this thing. You're in the NFL. Yeah. That's a level. Oh, I get drafted to one of the most iconic franchises in the whole sport. Every day when I walk into the building, there's Lombardi trophies shown to me. Every day when I walk into the building, the standard is set. Oh, never mind the fact that at least twice a week, a Hall of Famer comes walking through the locker room to pick up uh, some equipment from the equipment guy or a jersey or something. So not only you know, am I an Indian NFL, not only am I a Pittsburgh Steeler, not only are I one of the greatest franchises ever, not only do Hall of Famers walk around the building like it's nothing, but I'm a linebacker for the Pittsburghs, the yeah. most iconic position on one of the most iconic franchises. Okay, well, to top, let's top that. I'm in this room as a rookie with Greg Lloyd, who for five years in a row was literally the baddest man in football, a 10th degree yeah. Taekwondo black belt. I'm playing with Kevin Green, the three, four mercenary sack master for hire, who's teaching me all his tricks. I'm in the building with the same room with LeVon Kirkland, LeVon who is Kirkland, a, yeah. a, a size speed ratio that has never existed in linebacker yeah. or ever before. So wow, that I'm I'm blown away by this just the, the 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 happenstance and the luck of me landing in that room, learning to play NFL football from those guys, being constantly buoyed and boosted boosted by the tradition of that particular position on that roster, and yeah, if you play great linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you make All Pro, you make Pro yeah. Bowls, and if you stay there and play there a long time. You become a Hall of Famer. That's kind of how it works out there. And I'm lucky enough to be in this position. Oh, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. How intimidating was it meeting Lloyd for the first time? Like, you're right. The people do, people today do not understand how freakishly 
like intimidating that guy was in everything that he did. Uh, Greg Lloyd is still incredibly intimidating. <laughs> I did an autograph signing with him a couple of months back, and I still got a little bit of fear around Greg. Yeah. Um, Greg was completely fine to practice Taekwondo on you when you weren't known. You didn't know you were going to be practicing Taekwondo. He would just come up to you and <laughs> kick you and punch you. Sometimes yeah. during training camp, he would have his like his bow staff, and he would be practicing all alone in the player parking lot during training camp. And guys would just decide, I'll just run an errand later because I don't want to have to walk by Greg because he could hit me with that stick. He hit Bill Cower in the groin with a football coming out of a jugs machine. And Bill Cower didn't do anything because everyone was afraid of Greg. That's how intimidating of a man he was. He, this was before Bounty Gate and all that, he would say, right. I'm going to hurt a quarterback. And he would go out and hurt a quarterback. I mean, that's just how badass he was. Yeah, he was uh, he was something else. So somewhat, I have to believe, the pinnacle of your time in Pittsburgh was was getting to the Super Bowl and playing Super Bowl 30. And you guys are going up against the Dallas Cowboys. And in in that game, like the Cowboys of the 90s have taken on sort of a, a mythological uh, sort of remembrance in people and I for very good reasons I mean you go up and down that 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 roster we're talking hall of famers a quarterback wide receiver running back Charles Haley was the first guy with five rings I mean they had player Deion Sanders was back there with Darren Woodson like they had players everywhere what was your guys mindset going into that Super Bowl because you guys before that game the Steelers under Bill Cowher had been the yeah but team Okay, you get to all these AFC championship games and you do this, but you can't get through to the Super Bowl. You just can't do it. So you finally punch through that year and you get in. Um, what was the mindset going up against what a lot of people perceive as one of the best teams in the history of the NFL? We didn't care. We didn't care. We, we thought we were the baddest dudes on the planet. Um, you know, when you're led by guys like Greg Lloyd and, and Rod Woodson and Damani Dawson, how could you help but think any other way? Um, you know, so I, I did. I wasn't intimidated by the Cowboys. Yeah, Michael Irvin, he's probably going to get his a little bit. Emmitt Smith, he's going to yeah. get a, a little bit of his. Um, Troy Aikman's going to make some passes, but we're we're badass too. We come to play too. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, we got some momentum late in the first half. We got an onside kick in the second half. We things were going oh in, in the right direction. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, our, our quarterback, Neil O'Donnell, ends up throwing two interceptions that really seal the game for the Cowboys because we shut Emmitt down. I think Emmitt had less than 40, 45 yards rushing. Uh, Deion Sanders yeah. had one long pass somewhere early in the first quarter, and we pretty much shut down the passing attack from them. Rod Woodson was out there, the first guy to return the same season with an ACL. With an ACL. Shutting yep. down, shutting down uh, you know, um, Irvin. Michael Irvin. So. There was, there was so many great players on our team. We were not intimidated at all. But unfortunately, you know, turnovers, tail to tail of a football game, they certainly tipped that game in the favor of the Dallas Cowboys. Well, there's a couple of things I want to get into there because, like, I, I think early on in that game, the Cowboys had you a little off off balance. They 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 got the one big run inside from Emmett Smith. And you're right, that was his only big run. Then they throw the touchdown to Jay Novacek on what a lot of people say was a pick play. It's a rub route if you're an offensive player. It's a pick play if you're a defensive player. But then you guys sort of got with them, and there was a there was a point where the Cowboys had a Michael Irvin touchdown. It was called back because of offensive pass interference. 
And I think once that play happened, and I think they had to kick a field goal instead, it really changed the entire flow of that game. It really did. I I, I was convinced. I mean, I won a national championship at the University of Colorado. I won 32 games in a row at John Muir High School. Why would my NFL experience be be any different? I'm supposed to win. This is how how life works for me. Um, So, yeah, I'm as confident as I could possibly be. Uh, I've got such a deep-seated belief because, you know, of my teammates and who they are and our coaching staff and who they are. Uh, I've got no doubt we're going to win this ballgame. Yeah. And and you just mentioned you mentioned the onsides, and everybody now thinks Super Bowl onsides. They think of Sean Payton, Super Bowl forty four to start the second half. Well, the Cowboys then built up a, a decent sized lead uh, in in the third quarter, and you guys went down and scored. And Bobby April was the special teams coach, and, and he, I'll, I'll never forget the NFL Films clip of this. Uh, he said, "You want to go surprise onsides?" And uh, and Bill Cowher's like. Yeah, let's do it. Nobody was expecting that. You know, uh, I was there at the game. Uh, truth be told, I, I grew up a Cowboys fan, so I was ready to celebrate, you know, another Super Bowl championship. And when I saw that on side, I was like, mother, I can't believe they did that. I'm like, I think this game might be in real trouble. That was such a momentum swing. And it was the first one of those well before Sean Payton did his. Yeah, and my college teammate, Deion Figures, I was the second-round pick to the Steelers. He was the first-round pick to the Steelers. My college teammate, Deion, recovers that onside kick, and the momentum has just swung completely from the Cowboys' sideline, clearly to our sideline. Our offense is moving the ball. Neil O'Donnell's looking pretty good. And defensively, I don't think the Cowboys had anything else that they could show us that we were not prepared for. So we were about as confident as a team could be in that situation. And then you mentioned Neil O'Donnell decides to toss it to Larry Brown twice. Look, congratulations, Larry, Super Bowl MVP. I get it. But, like, those were gifts, man. The second one, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Yancey Thigpen. Like, Neil just didn't see him. He was wide-ass open. Like, I think he's still running, okay? If he had found Yancey Thigpen, we might be having a completely different discussion about Super Bowl Thirty, Instead, it was the Cowboys sealing it with great defensive play. Emmett ran in a touchdown late. Um, how long did it take to get over the idea of Neil just completely throwing two right at Larry Brown? All right. And, and, a, and a small, small, tiny defense of Neil O'Donnell. One of those interceptions was clearly his fault. I think the one that you were talking yeah. about. This, yeah. The other one, receiver wrong, ran the wrong route. So I, okay. I'll, I'll give Neil some defense there. I, you know, uh, Neil got us to that point. Um, he, we were certainly a ground-based team. We went with five wides about halfway through the season, and it was a perfect contrast to running the ball, being physical, playing great defense, and then suddenly we go five wides on you. Um, it, it was, and he really brought us to that point. So I will defend Neil there. But to your yeah. to your question, it took me almost ten years to Damn. be able to come around to being happy that I played in the Super Bowl rather than yeah. hating that I lost a Super Bowl. And even to yeah. this day, the, the week before the Super Bowl, NFL, uh, Network, NFL Network always plays all the old Super Bowls. And I'm flipping yep. through, and I'll catch my game, and I'll sit down, and in my heart, I still hope and expect us to find a way to win, <laughs> and we never do. Yeah. And it still yeah. crushes me every single time. And then I'm brought back to the memory of, you know, Kevin Green on the floor sobbing, uncontrollably um just so crushed by by what happened so 10 years for 10 years whenever somebody mentioned the super bowl or i thought about the super bowl 
I thought I would have rather not have gone at all than to go yeah. and to lose. Previous, especially because of my previous ex- big game experience. We went to big games yeah. and we won them. This is what happened. Yeah. So we won the championship game. I had no thoughts about us losing that Super Bowl because I win big games. This is what happens in my life. Uh, so 10 years is a decade plus before I finally was able to say, you know what? I'm happy I played in that game despite losing. That's how you know the hurt is real. It takes a freaking decade, man, to just okay, even yes. deal with it. I mean, that's 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 as that's as raw as it can get. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned the late great Kevin Green because I'll never forget his post game interview after you know the media was led. He said, "Man, we didn't piss a drop against that so called greatest offensive line in Evans." But like he was he was. Fired up like everyone's that, that massive Cowboys offensive line, which was great. Don't get me wrong; they thought they were going to roll over the Steelers. He said, "Man, we didn't piss a drop." And to, to this day, that's one of my favorite post Super Bowl comments of all time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but those are the kind of guys I played with, the kind of mentality that they had, and we would say those kind of things before the game, or right before we were on the field to take the field. We're yeah. not going to piss a drop today. We're going to shut these dudes yeah. down, and that was the mindset that we had. So, to come up on the short end of the stick was was crushing was literally crushing yeah so you, you played a few more years in Pittsburgh and then you, you sort of move on for a few years you play in Seattle and I'll always remember this sort of dance with you in and around the Patriots because you go one year to sort of help out because Teddy Bruschi got hurt who's a good friend of mine by the way uh and, and then they bring you back and the, your 2007 season with the Patriots was fascinating to me on a lot of levels I think you were signed and released like five times or four times that season, right? Yep. Now, I had a chance to play for other teams, but I knew that yeah. was going to be an amazing team. So, okay, yeah. to rewind a little bit. So I leave the Seahawks after year 12 and play with the yeah. Patriots in 2005. Uh, I start right. the first six game of the season. Teddy comes back, uh, gets the hole in the heart repaired, and yeah. now Teddy's the starter. I go to Coach Belichick and say, hey, man, put me someplace. I want to be on the field. And yeah. he's like, you, what about special teams? I'm like, I don't care. I'm 36 years old. I'll play special teams. Yeah. Two weeks later, I get the special teams game ball. One of the proudest moments of my NFL career. I've been all pro. I've been made pro bowls. Yeah. I've been some people's defensive player of the year. But that special team games ball is what sits in my office at home because that's one of the proudest football moments when the ego and the Chad yeah. being the star is put aside and it is purely for the team and purely for the love of the game. To run down on kickoff at 36 years old is pretty bananas. Let me tell you that. There's no doubt yeah. about it. But that game ball will forever be special to me. All right. I go back That's to camp cool. with them. 2000, yeah, 2006, I go back to camp with them. Break my hand first day of pads. Yep. I get released with the final cuts. I get picked up, picked up by the Steelers and go back to Pittsburgh because James Harrison, Joey Porter, and Clark Hagans all have like either an ankle injury or pulled a hamstring. So Bill Coward needs somebody to play. I go back to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I get a sack in my first game back. End up finishing the season there. Back to your original point. 2007, I go back to New England. Bill calls me in May and says, hey, we want you to be on the emergency list. What's that? Well, in case we have a couple of injuries during training camp, you're a guy we can call and rely upon. Sure, yeah. put me on the list. Calls me a couple of weeks later. We want to put you on the camp list. Well, what does that mean? We want you to come to training camp, but first I got to see what kind of shape you are. All right. You called me two weeks ago and told me you want to be on the emergency list. Now I'm on the camp list. I'm not in, like, football shape. What if I give you a week? So, I, okay, I call my trainer, eat like crazy, start working out, fly out there, do the workout. Okay, you're on the team. Great. 
All right. So I show up for training camp. I'm on the team. And so I'm in this dance of what am I going to do? What am I a special teams guy? Am I inside linebacker, outside linebacker? Am I backing up Brewski and Vrabel? What am I doing here? I'm moving all these parts, moving all around. I get released with the final cuts. That's time number one that year. Right. Come back a couple of weeks later, play a couple of games. I get released again. Um, the first release, I go up to Bill and Scott's office upstairs, and it's a very formal conversation. By the way, the Fiola, that's release, former GM Scott Pioli is who we're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The second release uh, is in Bill's office, and it's much less formal. We lost some of the formality to this process. Um, <laughs> I get back a couple weeks later, um, and I tell Bill, hey, Bill, I'm a family man. I'm living in a hotel. Yeah. I want to bring my wife and kids out here. I, I want to you know, do as I've done the rest of my career. Would this be a good idea? You should go talk to Matt Patricia, my position coach. Hey, Matty, this is what I want to do. Is it a good idea? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. You should go talk to Scott Pioli. I go talk to Scott. Scott, this is what I want to do. Is this a good idea? I'm going to rent a house. I'm going to ship cars. I'm going to rent furniture. My kids are going to change school. All this has to happen. You should go talk to Bill one more time. Okay, I go downstairs. I talk to Bill. Bill, this is what I want to do. I've talked to Matt, I've talked to Scott, now I'm talking to you. I cannot foresee a reason why you'd be released. Okay, great. I'm going to leave here and I'm going to do all these things. You sure I'm good? You sure I'm good with all of that? Because I know my position on the team. I'm one of the bottom five guys on the roster. This is potentially right. going to be the greatest team of all time. I could have played a full-time position someplace else, but I wanted to be a part of something special. So, I make all these arrangements. My kids change schools. All this happens. The day before my family is going to fly out, I get released. Oh, And man. I get released. I get released in the weight room. I'm finishing ah. a post-practice workout. Scott Pioli comes in to get a workout in. And he says, they didn't talk to you? And I say, who the hell is they? It's only like yeah, you're the GM. Who's, yeah. who's, who's the they who's supposed to talk to me? Well, you, you should probably go talk to Bill. Does Bill care if I finish my workout? Let me finish my workout, man. So I go talk to Bill. We got to release you, this, that, and the other. I just talked to you a couple weeks ago, man. I, I came to you as like a man and like a father. I know the football thing. I understand that. But I came to you like man to man, heart to heart. Well, I didn't think we'd have these injuries. You, the one who always brag about being in the NFL for 35 freaking years or whatever it was at that time. And how you've seen it all. You couldn't see injuries coming? Come on, man. <laughs> so I go back to the locker room, and then your friend, Teddy, is like, what happened? I'm like, I just got released. But your family's, like, coming in tonight. Yeah. So Teddy's all pissed. If they're going to do that to you, they might do that to me. I'm like, no, man. You're Mr. Patriot. They're not going to do that to yeah. you. Trust me. Yeah. So um, I stick around for a couple of weeks. The family decides, you know what, we're going back home. My brother-in-law is getting married. So we're watching Monday Night Football, maybe a week or two after my brother-in-law gets married, back in Colorado. Roosevelt Colvin goes down in the first quarter of the game with an ankle injury. I turn to my wife and I say, it will be less than five minutes after this game is over where I'll get a call from Scott Pioli. Less than five minutes after the game is over, (laughs) I get a call from Scott. Yep, yep, Scott, I could be on the plane in the morning. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it's all good. Email me the ticket. Yep, I'll be there. Boom, boom, boom. Get to the meeting two days later. Bill doesn't even introduce me to the team. Like normally when a new guy comes onto the team, Bill does like a yeah. formal introduction. 
no introduction. So Teddy, you know, being a great friend that he is, raises his hand and says, hey, Bill, you forgot something. Chad's back. And Bill says, oh, Chad's been here all the time. And just kind of waves it off. I'm like, the disrespect. You cut me in the weight room. Now I don't even get introduced to the team anymore when I come back. That's cold, so, man. So, you know, clearly I understand where my ranking is on this team. The last yeah. time I get released, my family's going to fly out. Of course, I, by this point, I have rented the house and I have yeah. rented the furniture and the cars have been shipped. And it's only me out there. So I got a whole house full of furniture. There's a pool in the backyard the, kid don't, the kids don't use. There's two cars in the garage. I can only drive one. So anyway, they're going to come out for Christmas. The family's going to come out. Yeah. I go into the dining hall at the end of the day to get some food, get some dinner. And Bill is over there in the fruit section putting some grapes into a Gatorade cup. He's walking by me and he kind of stops, does a double take. I'm like, oh, no. It's about to happen again. again. Like two days before Christmas. (laughs) So Bill is literally eating grapes one by one out of a Gatorade cup. And in between bites, yeah, we had a couple of injuries and we need some more speed on special teams. So we got to release you. I'm like, dude, we've lost all all humanity and formality in this process. You used to take me upstairs. Now I'm getting cut in the team dining hall as you're eating grapes. But I can still say, I can still say New England was the greatest football experience I ever had. It was the greatest collection of football people. How how can you say that after they they just treated you like a pinata and took swings? Because in my football heart, I understand the football reasons why he did it. In, in year yeah. 15, I was 38 years old. You know, while I, I ran out on mm-hmm. kickoff a couple of times that year, they did need more speed on special teams. So when, football, when Bill Belichick ever says, I had to do this for football reasons, he has yeah. removed all personal feelings, whether you're Richard Seymour or you're Lawyer Malloy or you're Randy Moss or any other yeah. great player who has played for that organization and have, who his time has come due to football reasons, he's got to let you go. He's going to make a football decision for the benefit of the football team. And yes, Chad, you were all pro and you're pro bowler. And I value what you did for me. And you were, you know, sat in the front row of the meetings. You told the young guys how to do stuff. And you were a great example. That doesn't matter compared to the football reasons of having a better player on the field. So yeah, I got cut four times my last year in the NFL by Bill Belichick the last time eating grapes in the team dining hall. Happy holidays. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas. Oh, my God. So so what is – if you ran into Bill today, would you be like, you mother, or would you like, I get it? No, I, I've seen Bill a number of times. I do a lot of broadcasting here in Denver with the Broncos. Yeah. So I've seen, yeah. you know, the Patriots in town. I, I, I hug Bill every time. I've seen Bill at the Combine or at okay. Super Bowls. I give him a hug every time. Um, again, I'm happy that I was a part of that experience. I'm happy that he thought enough of me as at 36, 37, and 38 years old to be on that team. So, yeah, does, does it, at this point, it's more of a joke that, you know, I, I make funny, I guess, hide some of the hurts, um, but I'm still happy for that experience. Yeah. So was there any part of you that was, like, happy they lost the Super Bowl that year and they didn't finish the perfect season? Like, maybe if you had had me, I'm just saying. No. 
No, because they were giving me a Super Bowl share. I would have gotten a Super Bowl okay. ring. So I was rooting for the okay. Patriots. And then the year before, uh, when they lost in the playoffs to the Colts, when I was in Pittsburgh, I was supposed to be on that team. And I was going to be the third down yeah. linebacker. And Dallas Clark had all kind of success in the middle of the field against the linebacker they had playing. Yeah. And I knew I should have been on the field. So I was rooting for that another opportunity to somehow help them any way that I could. Uh, you're you're a you're a good man, Chad Brown. I don't know if I can do that. You are <laughs> you are indeed a very good man. Listen, why don't we take our final break here? We come back, we'll talk about what's behind you and what you're doing now, because it's just as interesting as everything that happened in your career. Stay with us on this episode of Half Forgotten History. Coming back with more with Chad Brown right after this. Happy Thanksgiving week, everybody. And I guess the big question is, will the big dogs continue to feast? I mean, big dogs. Let's check it out in Trey's Trends, presented by Caesar Sportsbook. This season, double-digit underdogs have covered over 70% of their games, going 10-4 and four against the spread with three outright wins. If you think that's odd and unusual, you would be correct. The last season where double-digit underdogs covered two-thirds of their games was 1988, when they went 13-6. and six. To begin with, there are two teams laying 10 or more points this week, including one shocker. Look, it's no surprise that the one-win Texans are 12-point underdogs to the 7-3 Dolphins. But how about the Rams? The Rams right now are getting 14.5 points when they go to Arrowhead to take on Kansas City. Now, if that line holds, and we think it will, it would be the first time ever that a defending Super Bowl champion would be a 14-point underdog or more. Twice before, we've had a defending Super Bowl champion, a 13.5-point dog, and each one outright. In 2018, the Eagles beat the Rams, and in 1995, the 49ers did indeed take down the Dallas Cowboys. If you're ready to place your bets, it's very simple. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app and get started. Must be 21 or over, 19 or over in Ontario. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, Utah, and other states where we're going Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problems? Well, in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. West Virginia, visit at 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas. Affiliated with Kansas Cross Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Closure City, and Harrison Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Ontario, visit connectsontario.ca or call 1-866-531-2600 or text CONNECTS to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. All right, time now for the answer to the Mercedes-Benz Trivia Challenge. As we said, Chad Brown, 1,091 career tackles. Where would that rank among active NFL players? Amazingly third behind only Bobby Wagner and Levante David. And now back to more of Chad Brown's Half Forgotten History episode. All right, uh, back with Chad Brown here on Half Forgotten History. So we got to get more into the uh, in the reptile thing. So this is now what you do besides the broadcasting, right? You, you, It's Pro Exotics, isn't that the name of the company? Pro Exotics Reptiles was my reptile breeding company. My current company is Ship Your Reptiles. I ship reptiles all across the world. And is, is it just shipyourreptiles.com? Is that what it is? Shipyourreptiles.com. I also have Ship Your Aquatics for folks who need to ship fish and corals and aquatic plants. Ship Your Inverts for folks who are into bugs and creepy crawly things. Soon to launch will be Ship Your Flora for folks who are shipping plants and flowers and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I've taken this model of shipping living things and made it a whole company and a whole brand. 
Well, I feel like we're in that commercial. I just shipped my pants. That I can't remember that for a few years back. <laughs> I can't remember what company it was. I just shipped my pants. Um, okay, so so is there anything in your life you love more than Fernando? Uh, <laughs> all right. So those who don't know, who most of them won't know, Fernando I was about to say you need to tell who you know. You need to tell people who Fernando is. Fernando is a beaded lizard. So everyone's familiar with Gila monsters. They have a yeah. cousin. Yeah, that occurs more in Mexico, the beaded lizard. So Fernando is the world's oldest and largest beaded lizard. Every day that he lives, he sets a new longevity record. Fernando is a documented 55 years plus in age. Uh, he's almost four feet long. Um, Fernando is an awesome, iconic animal. A lot of old-time keepers in the reptile trade are super familiar with Fernando. Uh, and I am the uh, lucky one to be his caretaker in his older days, although he doesn't appear to be slowing down at all. What does Fernando eat? What What is a 55-year-old beaded lizard who's the lo- the oldest known of his species? What is What does he chow down on? Okay, in, in the midsummer, Fernando gets about three rats a week. Now that we're moving into the fall, it's down to run one rat a week. Once we get into the winter time, he'll kind of go into a state of hibernation. And he'll probably go two or three months without eating at all. He'll burrow down in his cage underneath the dirt and kind of hang out for the wintertime. So Fernando is about as low maintenance of an animal as you can possibly have. He's got very simple needs. Uh, As you would imagine, a man of his his time, age, and wisdom and experience doesn't need a whole lot. Very simple living for a Fernando. To Fernando, ladies and gentlemen. We we salute (laughs) Fernando. Um. And I love the fact, and we talked about this, the wall behind you. Uh, I used to have one of those. I, I, I love I love looking at all the possibilities that are out there. And you, you told me you put a little little green flag on everywhere you go, right? So I've got little stickers that I put everywhere I, I've been on the planet. Yeah. Um, I've been to yeah. all 50 states. Um, I've been all through Central and South America. I've been to Africa. I, you know, so my, my, my list is extensive. But at the same time, there's lots of places without stickers that that beg me on so now that uh, we have finally moved past some of the COVID stuff and uh, I've been to Japan Japan is on, on the immediate list to get back to they open up October 11th so somewhere uh, early after the football season I will be making a trip to Asia and Japan will be on the list all right so I have two travel because I love to travel too it's one of my favorite things in the world give me your favorite place if you can because I know it's different for this climate and this reason but if there's one that you would tell people you have to go to but if you haven't been there, where would it be? I would say Japan, number one. You know, it, it's it's completely foreign, okay. yet completely safe, and everyone's nice and polite. Um, I mean, as a reptile person, I would say my trip to the Amazon. But not everybody's a reptile person. So wow. I'll keep it in, yeah. in the, the, the city kind of thing. And I will definitely say Japan, awesome food, awesome people, great culture, transportation is easy. Everyone's friendly. It's not that difficult of a travel environment. Um, you know, direct flights out of some major places. Yeah, Japan is an, a definite must-do if you are a world traveler. Okay, that's interesting because you, I'm 6'3", and I always felt like if I went to Japan, I would just feel like this. Like, everything is so small, and I would just, it would drive me crazy. But that's not a problem because you're a big guy. It didn't bother you at all. The, yes, the, the, the hotel rooms are smaller than what we get here. Everything's a little yeah. bit tighter and smaller. Uh, the restaurants, yeah. you know, your 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 seat at the bar at the ramen restaurant is going to be a little bit tighter. So you have to be used to giving up some of your personal space. Um, but what you get back, the peace, yeah. the calm, again, the food, the polite people, the experiences are well worth it. Just kind of 
giving up some of that space. All right. So now give me the one place that you haven't been to that's been on your bucket list and you're dying to get there. Okay. Uh, Australia is the land of reptiles. There are no massive predators in Australia. You know, Africa has, has lions and there's tigers in Asia. You know, there's cougars in South America and, and, and Central America and some places even in the United States. There is no large land mammal there. There's giant lizards and there's really big snakes. So as a reptile guy, I have to at least once in my life do the bucket list trip of go to Australia, visit all the different regions and see all the amazing reptiles that exist there. Well, let me tell you something. I, I've been to Australia once and it is far and away my favorite place I've ever been. So I, I, will, I will tell you that your instincts are correct and you need to get to Australia as soon as possible. And they may not have giant mammals, but they have the most poisonous and the most dangerous of every other kind of animal there is. You know, saltwater crocs, uh, the, the box jellyfish, you know, the blue ring octopus. Everything that can octopus, kill yes. you is going to be in Australia. So for an animal guy like me, that's oddly the place where I want to go to see all that stuff and get as close to all that stuff as I possibly yeah. can. Just don't die because that would be bad. <laughs> My wife said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, listen, brother, this has been awesome. I appreciate you. I, I always enjoyed your career. I, I, I felt like people this day and age have no idea what it was like, your college experience. I think they'll have fun. Uh, talking about that. And I, I enjoyed watching you play. So I, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your interests away from the sport because I think that's that's the key to a healthy life for a guy who has been so involved in whether it's football, baseball, or basketball, to find something else that gives you that joy when your playing days are done and you've clearly found that. Yeah, I'm, I'm an animal dude through and through. I love this reptile world that I'm in. I thank you for the opportunity for me to come on and, and share some of my passions and then share my uh, my Bill Belichick story um, that still hurts a little part of my heart, but still makes me laugh all at the same time. Yeah. Well, whenever I say happy holidays, that's the first thing I'm going to think about now. At least, at, least, <laughs> at least you weren't Belichicked around Christmas. All right, Chad, good to talk to you, man. Take care. Good stuff, man. So thanks again to Chad for plugging away. And, and how about his favorite lizard? Still going strong as well. So coming up next week, we'll go from Chad Brown to Tim Brown. Uh, Touchdown Timmy, as he was known at Notre Dame when he won the Heisman Trophy. And he may have the single greatest story we've ever had in the history of Half Forgotten History. Wait till you hear about his recruiting visit to SMU when the NCAA was lurking with a death penalty. That's next week with Tim Brown. We hope to see you then. Yeah.